My name is Neil Ludevig, and if you're an upcoming artist or an emerging artist, check out Go Produce. Yes, yes, Neil Ludevig is a producer, curator, environmentalist, artist, and entrepreneur based in Harlem, focused on amplifying socially conscious artist voices. His work has been covered internationally in the New York Times, in Rolling Stones, CBS, ABC, Time Out, New York, NPR, and of course, the list goes on. He was named an emerging leader by the Association of Performing Arts Presenters. He received the Congressional Proclamation for his nonprofit work via Harlem Arts Festival, and he also helped launch Beyond Better Food aka enlightened this is a national consumer packaged goods companies that that redefines the ice cream aisle i love myself some good ice cream i'm sure you've heard that a lot before we won't spend too much time there smartest this is neil ludovic it's a pleasure to be here i absolutely love that intro by the way (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much you know sometimes i trip up on myself but the energy makes up for it oh yeah and the music to boot you're 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 swimming in it right now. You're doing just fine. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Neil, thank you so much for being here. The first segment that we've got is called The Basics. The Basics. Okay, Neil. So in The Basics, what we want to do is essentially kick this off on a high note and get to understand you a little bit better. So my first question is... Why did you choose music over everything else? I'm a musician. So everyone in my family plays music. I grew up in and around music. Uh, Just to give you an idea, my mom plays the piano. My brother plays the piano. My dad plays the guitar. Uh, My grandmother was a professional classical pianist. Uh, her, Her teacher was actually the composer Shostakovich. Her brother was a conductor at the St. Petersburg Philharmonic. Their kids um, are professors of music. So it, it's, it kind of keeps going, um, but it's, it's right. very heavily ingrained. Um, yeah, it's, it's very heavily ingrained in my, in my house and in my family and kind of what we do. We had like a little family band. Um, but I think, you know, I, I was always trying to figure out where and what I was most interested in music and kind of the world in and around it. So I was definitely exploring a lot of things. I was actually in high school, I was studying neuromusicology and how music affects the brain. I did the acapella stuff. I've been on the business side and on the performing side. Um, I, I had a, a brief stint like in a professional band touring. Uh, we like entered into a big competition and got to play at South by Southwest. So there, there wasn't like a moment of let's just do this. Um, I'm making the decision. It was like, oh, let's try a little bit of this. Let's try a little bit of that. Let's, you know, that, that's that's the way that I've always gone about everything. And music just happened to be the conduit for it. Kind of the message that I got after school and even like before is you just have to try everything. And I, it, it's, there's like, a, a, it's, it's, it's a pretty established, more of an established movement right now, but this whole shift uh, from, in education from STEM to STEAM, right? Like science, technology, engineering, math, and the STEAM is really adding the arts component because I think, the world that we live in now, there really isn't, art isn't uh, introduced to us at a younger age as a viable career path. You see the people on the stage and you're like, oh, you're Beyonce's, you're Jay-Z's, you're Kanye's, you're, you know, whomever it might be. And you think, okay, if I'm not that, then there's really nothing there, but there's actually a whole industry of people. And the only way, and this is, truth be told, this is the same thing with any industry, right? Whether it's consumer packaged goods or tech or software or, you know, hospitality, People go out of school and they get entry-level jobs, right? They start, they get internships and that's the trial. And, you know, as someone that is, that wants to try something, you owe it to yourself to try everything. It's the basis of a liberal arts education. You're trying everything and seeing what sticks. Um, The difference is you, you know, for, for people that want to try music, you just have to stick with music and, you know, keep going and, and have that kind of entrepreneurial attitude of saying, I want this and I'm not going to stop until I get it. That's, I think that's really the decision, you know, for other people, it, you know, something else might stick and they're going to say the same thing, but it's really what is, sings true to you. Do you think artists that do not have that entrepreneurial drive should not pursue a career as an independent or should they work on developing that? Is that something that you can develop? Or perhaps I, you get signed. I don't know. Whatever. 
it can go a different approach. Yeah, I think this notion, you know, if you've seen the film Inside Lewin Davis, um, which yeah. is a, a, a Coen Brothers film, it, it, it talks, one of the primary subjects is this notion of the like struggling artist that gets discovered and, you know, isn't their best salesman and what it feels like to kind of sell yourself. I, I think it, it touches on that exact issue because it's important to realize that every artist is business. And every artist is their best salesperson. And if you're not willing to sell yourself, you're going for a specific mission, I think. And like this, this larger image of like the discovered artists, like the Bob Dylan folk kind of feel. And there's, you know, there's, there's lots of it, you know, even your Justin Bieber's and things that put something and it goes viral. Like that, I don't think that's realistic. I think yeah, the, the, the true artist, and, and also we're talking about a certain kind of art, which is not just the musician, but like, Artists are the people behind the, you know, we, we just spoke about the grumpy sound guy. They're artists, right? Every sound person, every person above the line, every per camera person, um, you know, with a mic in their hand or a camera, you know, whether it's a camera or, or whatever it might be, they're all artists in their own right. It's, it's, it's implementing and putting a, a version of your creativity in it that makes you an artist, right? I, in, in, a, in a certain... <laughs> Um, in, in a very specific way, I try to I try to embody that in how I connect with people because it's a very New York thing to ask what do you do, right? And to be defined by your career. But I actually like to ask how do you spend your time because there are many lawyers and accountants that by day they do that and they're actually an incredible dancer or a performer or an artist and most artists are doing something else, but they're defined by something different, you know, by their artistic pursuit and their passion. So, you know, to kind of address it, I do think that you need that entrepreneurial drive in anything you do, because it's going to make you a better, it's going to make you a better worker. It's going to make you a, you know, a better a business owner and a more successful person in life. If you kind of have this attitude, a problem solving attitude, um, there's, there's a few books. I mean, this is kind of what business school is about to say, for the first year after you, you graduate, you should be a salesman. You should understand what the fundamental foundation is in every single business. Um, and, that's, and that's sales. It, it drives every major business in the world. And it's the, the root of music where you're selling your songs and telling people to listen to them, to buy them, to, you know, to invest and to give you a shot. So you know, you're kind of taking the fast track um, on business school, if you decide to be an artist as well. So I think going in with the mentality of, of running your own business and having an entrepreneurial spirit is a good, th certainly a good thing, may probably a necessary thing in this world. Um, uh, because it'll, yeah. but you know, I, I, I think you'll, you'll do better anyway in that, in that sense. Yeah, that's inevitable. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, if you aren't, if you feel like you aren't the individual that has all of these entrepreneurial traits, find people that you can trust that have them and work together. Because if you, if you have the desire, you can find a way to do it. Um, don't, don't let this kind of deter you if you don't have that ability. It's, but develop, I, I think, developing it. Yeah. And I, I also don't think it's, it's as cut, cut and dry and like black and white as like you either have it, or you don't. Yeah, Entrepreneurial yeah, sure. attitude and spirit for me is the idea Actually, a mentor of mine gave me this 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 awesome um, management tool or like idea. He said, if you're ever working with a team or managing someone, there's something it's called like the 80-20 rule. And he says, like, get every single person aside and talk to them one on one and tell them that 80% um, 80 uh, of their time should be spent on uh, on I. Uh, uh, solving problems and 20% should be on identifying them, right? The only time that you should go to your superior with a problem or like somebody else is after you've identified three possible solutions for them and that you have two recommendations for them. And the basis of this is taking autonomy over your work and over yeah. everything that you do. So it doesn't matter if you're in a corporate management setting or if you're in a band, right? The idea is any any barrier to entry or any obstacle that you face, you should think, okay, before I start seeking help, have I done the work? Have I gone forward? And I think that's kind of the entrepreneurial mindset that I think is, is not required, but it's think like, do the work, do it. Because, you know, we've heard about the 10,000 hour rule. We, we've heard about, 
these people. And it's like, if you want, no matter what it is, if you want to succeed in it, go the extra mile and double check and make sure have I done everything that I need to do before asking for help, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, uh, you know, to get me to the next level, you know, to, to really critically think this through. And I think that's, and so that might be a little bit less of a dissuasion that we all have the power um, to make, move our careers forward and to find another way and to be creative, right? If we have an album that we want to push and it's like, oh, this isn't getting radio play and we need to reach this one person. Have we thought of every way to get to them? Have we tried LinkedIn? Have I cold called them? Have I emailed them? Have I looked at who their assistant was and tried to reach out to them? Did I find the next event that they're going to be speaking at and and purchase a ticket or make friends with the bouncer or whatever it might be like yeah there's always something else and it's and i think when you start putting it there the real question is if you're not doing it what why why is where is the how come the motivation is lacking or lackluster Mm -hmm. because you know some friends or mentors the basis is like it comes down to you like what is your you know, is there some kind of lack of confidence or something there? And then it's just good times to reflect and evaluate and double down and think, no, like, I like my music and I think it's good enough. And if you don't, like, then work on the music and get back in there, you know? That's fair, too. Yeah, absolutely. Neil, this is great. Uh, what If you could change anything about the music industry, what would you change? I, I wish it was more inclusive behind, uh, like, above the line and below the line. Like, that, it, that the people, the decision makers... And the barriers to entry was filled with more people reflective of the industries and the music, uh, the musical artists that we that were um, that were advocating for and that were playing. So that I, I I'm coming from like more of a larger entertainment side. I'm trying to get more into that, but I definitely feel that there's a disconnect with a lot of these kinds of decision makers and kind of the communication that's going in and around between the artists that are actually creating the work and the people that are advocating for them. So, you know, that's not just people of color, that's, that's LGBTQ plus, that's, um, you know, uh, different genders and sexualities and people that are coming, for instance, uh, you know, that have disabilities and things. I think if the more perspectives that are coming from people that are on your team, because it is a team effort, I think the better. That's a that's a brilliant way to put it. I mean, it is quite inevitable. Um, uh, you, you made a lot of good points in terms of the decision makers. They they kind of like will be able to stir the pot a little bit faster. But on the ground level for the upcoming artists, is there something that we can do, something actionable to help move that faster, move the needle? Maybe call out inappropriate kinds of acts. Don't tolerate that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think when I when I think of a lot of the musical. Um, at least just like artists in general that are hoping to kind of connect with IE decision makers or kind of advance their team. I still think that there's a lot of this, like once I get a manager, they're just going to do everything. Or once I get an agent, they're going to do anything. And having been in a manager position and an agent position, like to have that weight put on your shoulders and ex- expectations, I don't think it's realistic. And I think that there's a lot of leg a there's a lot of communicate like it's still a team it's not like you do creative and i do everything else it is like we need to both understand everything and be involved in the process i think the most successful you know duos and teams and stuff are people that are collectively seeing that this is a this is a i'm an ecosystem right and you kind of are feeding one into the other and i think as part of that it's a responsibility not just to Uh, communicate what you're doing and how you're doing it, but to actually do best efforts to have an understanding um, and actually try to do what the other person is doing. I'll say coming in to this industry as like a very um, acoustic musician, someone that like I play saxophone, piano, guitar, and a few other instruments, like I never dealt with microphones. I never dealt with the sound system. I never dealt with any of the recording equipment. I'm like, cool. Like, hey, I'm assuming they like know what they're doing, right? Until I realized like that's often not the case. And it's it's both serves not not the case not that like people don't, but it serves both my interests and theirs to understand the equipment. Right? To understand, hmm, I want a specific sound and let me like try to translate this into your language. Like use yeah. this equipment and like use like I want you to change the treble or I want you to use this microphone or whatever, because I know it sounds better and it's an industry standard. Um and I think they'll appreciate it and I'll appreciate it as an artist. And the other way around, if I'm, 
if I'm a recording engineer and I'm saying, Hey, like I've worked with all these different musicians and like, okay, I know like you need to work on your tuning and for this. And like, here, we've got all this equipment that I know you already need. And like, just get the basics, basics down. It will go, it, it will really Lots go a long better. way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah so I, I think it's, you know, it, it, that, that, that's like on the creative team, but I think like, as an, again, going back to the artist as an entrepreneur, like do the 360 and not just in producing the project, but what's going to market it, right? It is, we are so fortunate now to, to have tools at our disposal to make anything like a few clicks. You can make websites in an hour or less, right? That is like literally drag and drop and you just click and like already templates made for you. All you have to do is just change the photos. So I can say having been an agent or even having been, you know, an artist, if I come to a, an agent and I'm like, I don't have a website and I don't have an email address that's like functioning, or I don't have like some pictures um, available, like, come on, every, you can get a smartphone yeah. for free. You can, yeah. and take pictures of yourself. You can uh, get a Squarespace or a Wix for free. Even if it's not like a neilludevic.com, you can have like a neil.ludevic.wix site. It can be free with like everything done and you can do that. So when someone says they like, don't have this stuff, my question is, are you doing the work? Did you do the diligence? Are you, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 I think like, yeah, it's, it it shows a certain level of intention or expectation that like the best artists that I've worked with are the ones like, whoa, like I'm trying to keep up with you. Like you've got, like, I'm, I have to deserve that space because you're clearly making you know, there's a fantastic artist in front of mine, Braxton Cook. Like, he's just on his shit. Like, he's blowing up. He's expanding. He does stuff with Tom Mish and Christian Scott. And, like, I just saw, like, one of his one of his songs on Spotify hit 2 million. But he's, like, every single week, week he's doing these things called Transcription Tuesdays. Um, he, like, regularly engages with his artists. He talks with his managers frequently. He likes strategizing and thinking about that stuff. And he had a website and all that kind of stuff regularly put together that he knows how to do. And to me, that's an artist... That's like, we can collectively think as a team and like, yeah. what are the assets and things that I have? So, you know, the short version to answer your question is um, do as much as you can to make the jobs of the people that you work with easier. And they're going to be able to do the same thing for you. Exactly. Right. And it's, you're going to focus less on the administration and more on the like the winning, honestly. The winning. I like that. That's a great way to I like that. The winning. Uh, Neil, we're going into the speed round now. The it's the speed round. Speed it's the speed round. round. <laughs> yeah, that was a terrible take. <laughs> All right. So the speed round, I'm going to throw 20 questions at you, and you have less than three seconds to answer each. If it goes past that, you will hear a buzzer from the grumpy sound guy. <laughs> uh, and then afterwards, you can justify. Cool? Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> what is your favorite city? No pressure. Uh, New York at the moment. Persistence Live beats? There. Resistance. What is your favorite meal? Uh, a morning smoothie with cachava, uh, bananas, oh, avocados, nice. a whole bunch of fruits and hemp seeds and stuff. You know. Who's an artist that you currently find the most exciting? Um, exciting. Um uh, an old college buddy of mine, his name's Wallace Bate. He is, he invented a style we'll of music called after. Sham. Okay. <laughs> justify for sure. Def- definitely going back to that. What is the best scuba diving spot you've been to? <laughs> uh, I learned at the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, oh. So that was pretty, pretty dynamite. Although I did something two days ago with hammerhead sharks, which is pretty cool. We'll talk about that too. Is water wet? Definitely. <laughs> Make the first sound that comes to mind. What What are the four essential qualities to hybrid music? Um, innovative, genre bending, um, independent, and um, good, honestly. Nice. What is, oh, is this the best interview you've ever had? Uh, this is the, the most diversity of sounds for sure. Okay. Okay. We could take that. <laughs> um, do you prefer the interview adventure? isn't over yet? So huh? this is true. This is true. Uh, do you prefer adventure or leisure adventure? Would you go bungee jumping again? 
Absolutely. If movie is to watch, then Netflix is to? Discover. Neil, do you have any nicknames? Uh, <laughs> Broadway. <laughs> Broadway. Interesting. Broadway's, what instruments do you yeah. play? Oh, and Brazilian. I can give you a story about that one, too. Um, what, what was his last question? Instruments. Instruments. What do you play? Uh, saxophone, guitar, piano, a little bit of bass, and the drums. Um, I uh, beatbox um, and sing. Uh, that's, that's the main ones. That's so many. Uh, what's your favorite activity to do? I, I'm obsessed with the outdoors and love hiking and traveling and being out in nature. So I'm a nature, nature. junkie for sure. I'm also obsessed with acro yoga at the moment. Oh, interesting. Artists are entrepreneurs, yes? Absolutely. Dead or alive, who would you like to have dinner with? I'd love Dave Chappelle. would be Ooh, amazing. Nice. Who's your all-around favorite person in the world? <laughs> Uh, favorite person in the world? Are we talking alive or dead? Um, I mean, I've, I've got like, it's a mastermind alliance. So Dave Chappelle's up there, Donald Glover, Robin Williams, um, rest in peace. Um, Obama, there's an incredible woman, Reese Wilson, who started uh, the Laundromat Project. Um, <laughs> and that's time. <laughs> Last question. Can you imagine a world without music? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely not. Music is everywhere in some shape and form. It, it comes everywhere. through through rhythm or yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's life. I like it. We made it through the speed round, Neil. Congratulations. The <laughs> it's the speed round. Speed it's the speed round. 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 Um, yeah, um, let's hear you that. beatbox then. Let's hear you beatbox. Yo, not yet, grumpy. <laughs> Read your outline. I want to hear. Okay, what we're doing is now. we're going into what's your take. All right, Grumpy, you uh, you just going to mute yourself real quick. You know how to do that. <laughs> All right. So what's your take? What's your take? Then what's your take is? What's your take? Let me hear you say. What's your take? Can't hear you now. What's your take? Okay, let's hear you beat that, beat that beatbox. Can you do it better oh, than that? I mean, right, you all want right, me to he's beatbox right out. now? He's calling you out. If you want to do it, we're going to do it later, but we might as well do I it now. I just did. I just did. Here, hit it again. <laughs> hit it again. Hit it again. Whoa. So there's like two different kinds. Yeah, he got there's like speed. more behind like hip hop stuff, which is like like that, where you could do like, Ooh, or you can do like more, more like on drums, which is like you're in, in, uh, replicating a drum kit. So it's. So you're like a lot of bass, like that kind of stuff. That's awesome. That's super awesome. Big up, big up. Sound the horn, sound the horn. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I'm loving how much fun you're having with those, with all that stuff. <laughs> yes. All right. So back to what's your take. What we're going to do here is open discussion. Uh, we're about, say, like halfway closer to the end of the, the whole interview. Um, but... I want to talk a little bit more about Harlem Arts Festival. Um, you were slash are a co-founder and executive director of Harlem Arts Festival. I'm wondering from your experience, how have you seen artists behave there, successful artists? How do they typically behave at these kinds of events? What are they doing? What are they doing? You mean in terms of performance or before or after or kind of Yeah, what's... sorry. To be more specific, before or after, like, are they showing up? five minutes before they perform and then they're doing it and they're heading out. What's their typical behavior? I, I think the biggest, especially, so Harlem Arts Festival, the kind of niche that we that we were hitting is there are some fantastic spaces in Harlem. Um, the Apollo is one of them, Harlem Stage. Um, 
you know, are, are good examples. There's also some, you know, those are union houses, large, you know, that's where Stevie Wonder can perform. It's, it's a lot of funds to put it together um, and a very established artist can perform there. They also have like tiny, smaller venues like cafes, the Shrine, Silvana are particular favorites of mine. Um, we really work with mid-career artists. So those emerging and budding artists that like are beyond the cafe and they're growing. So, you know, Divinity Rocks was a good example um, she was Beyonce's basis. She had gone on tour, but was launching a big part of her own career. Braxton Cook was an example. Samora Pinderhues, Brady Watts. Um, I think those artists were, I think from the get-go, they were incredibly engaged. I mean, these were not people that were like, hey, thanks for doing me a favor. They were asking, what can I do for you? They were scheduling posts ahead of time on their social. They were, you know, what we were talking about before, they were their best salesmen and and were genuinely interested in the connections that we offered. Uh, they would show up early, they would stay late, they would be there for picture sessions. Um, I'll say on a, on a larger way, you know, they, they, they understood the intention of what we were doing. We were not, we were, you know, that was started with myself and two other co-founders, Chelsea Goding and JJ Elfar. And, you know, it was a passion project that launched and got pretty big. Like we we attracted quite you know six seven thousand people and hit probably upwards of twenty thousand people over the course of the time that we were doing that. Yeah. Um, but I think they they were they understood what we were doing, why we were doing it, and you know at the end of the day saw the longevity uh, of of the vision, and that meant staying in touch with us, connecting with us outside. I mean. I'll say Braxton's a friend of mine. You know, Brady is absolutely a friend of mine. People that I, I'm inspired by what they're doing, but I try to regularly connect and talk with them. Um, and so I think I think the biggest separation is some people look often saw a gig as like a one and done and like, cool, thanks so much, see you later. And I think those people kept the conversation going. A, because like, to me, it meant that they were like authentically engaged in why we were doing it and what for. Um, but it also by doing that, and I think they knew that keeping these connections, uh, it it kept me thinking about them back of mind. So like the first when I have an opportunity, I think of them. Like they're the first people because they're I'm regularly talking and hearing about their projects, or I'm looking to them because I like what they're doing and why they're doing it. So. Yeah, I think for those, that was that was the biggest thing. And they they were problem solvers. They were like, how can we make this work? Um, and they were easy to do. The, you know, the most incredible things is when you meet an, an amazing artist that's humble at the same time. They understand their craft and they're, they're, they're willing to do it. At the same time, like this is not, you know, it's very important that they they have justifications for what, like, great, here's my fee and here's why. I need, like, money back and forth. I need to be able to pay my band, like, you know, and this is the transportation cost and this is the value. Like, my last gig, I don't want to go less than what my last gig was for um, because I'm trying to increase my fee. And boom, like, you're talking to me like a real person as opposed to, like, this is what it is and I don't care. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to change it because of that. So I think those are those are the kinds of people I work with because they're interested going back again on being on my team. They're interested right. in growing with me. And, you know, it's a reason to bring an artist back or do something again with them or um, creatively get together. And it makes me want to be on the scope. Cause I, you know, Harlem arts festival is not something I do anymore. Right. It makes me want to reach out. And, you know, when we talk, it's like, Hey, I'm there for any advice you need. You need a resource. You need a connection. Like, hit me up, you know, absolutely. Like there's some artists that I worked with for there um, that again are super close friends. Like one of them, he was just in New Orleans, like when that huge hurricane hit. And I was like, you know what? Like I saw that and immediately was like, hey, I want to help. I want to help this guy out because I know like he works his ass off, like right. trying to do music and get from gig to left and right. And so he actually had to hide. He lost everything, his studio, his equipment his home basically because of that and i got him a spot for two weeks um just like free from a friend up in yeah. new york it's like great here's like a landing pad on your feet because like he's someone i want to help in any way i can not just musically yeah. so the real yeah, revenue here is those relationships are the, hey exactly Sorry, and it's like yeah. no it, you're 100 percent right like the when 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 people people start thinking less about the dollars and cents and more about the 
relationships, it, it goes much further. And there's a book I always cite, which I would recommend anyone to read, whether you're in music or out, and especially entrepreneurial or aspiring artists. It's called Think and Grow Rich. It's by Napoleon Hill. It's like considered Jesus. the foundation uh, foundation, and like many famous people cite it as like one of their biggest influences. And it talks about this mastermind alliance, this group of people that you get together to um, to get you to where you want to go. And the biggest thing they say is make sure that you are giving these, they, they cite uh, Henry Ford as an example, who didn't have an education, didn't have any money, didn't have any research, didn't know anything about science. And what he did to build the Ford Motor Company is get a group of people, scientists and engineers and uh, mechanics and otherwise that balanced out his, his um, skill sets, you know, but we, and weaknesses, but he constantly gave more to them than they, than they would give to him as a way for them to always value him, right? Because if he was doing that, there was no reason for them ever to say, cool, like, thanks so much for what you're doing. Like, we're going on our own way. It's, it's a reason to do that. And it's the same way. Like, the best artists are folks that are giving back. Give more than you receive. Okay, these, totally. next, these next ones, uh, just a quick response before we move on to the bigger question. Um, what would you say artists should not do um, at their at at gigs? So you, you you gave a lot of light on like be open, be polite, stay longer, show up early, be here for the pictures. But like, have you ever seen specific red flags that you're like, oh, that artist just just kind of like? Um, well, I mean, it's a lot of them is the polar opposite. Like, don't arrive late, don't expect stuff like everything to be done for you. I would say like get involved. Um, <laughs> But if like red flags, um, I think sometimes a red flag in some ways, which just kind of says like the motivation, if they come there and like the first question is like asking for the money, um, mm -hmm. you know, especially like before you perform, it just kind of says like where your mind's at. Um, so I think that that's a big thing. I mean, if they're really just like not engaging in any shape and form, you know, with any of the staff members and stuff at a gig, like that's a big thing. If they're like for artists that don't come to sound check or like, I don't have time for that. Um, you know, I would say like, that's, that's kind of a, that's definitely a red flag. Um, yeah. you know, it, cause it, it helps everyone. It's not just them. It's, 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 uh, making sure everyone's prepared. And I think it's, it's, it's part of it where it's, it's making us everyone a little bit more comfortable um what about what about um dealing with your first gig like finding that gig do you find that a lot of newer artists will burn themselves before they even get there when you say burn yourselves oh you mean like, in terms of like get well, blacklisted. I, yeah, what do you mean? yeah like they're blacklisted or or um they just shoot out a whole bunch of emails to different venues expecting to get just like appear on their bill without showing up at coffee houses like What's a common thing that you see artists? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think, that, I mean, this is like very entrepreneurial think and go rich wise is thinking that people always have the time for you. Um, and this is like, if you're reaching out to anyone, whether it's a mentor or a potential business partner or someone to hire you, it's like always framing to them, like what you can do for them. Um, and, and send, as opposed to asking them for something. Like if I reach, right. if an artist is like, Hey, like you can just put, like, put me on your next kid, put, put me on me on your next gig because like, because my music's amazing. Um, like I, I that's would encourage them to kind of, that's not a, a good enough how it's like really make sure that you take the time to understand like why you are the right fit. Okay, yeah. cool. Like you're, you want to perform here? Like, and you're doing something in Harlem, like, are you, are you from Harlem? Is this like very unique to you? Like, what is, what is the amount of people that you can draw to the audience? Or, you know, what, what is like the most recent, uh, like if you've never done a performance, I would say like, that's cool and state that and maybe say like, what else you can bring? Like how many followers do you have on social? Or what would you, like you're willing to do this for a discounted rate? Or if you are willing to do it for free, I mean, many of us, like that's, that's part of it. That's the beginning. I'm down to do this for free. I know that I can get this much and I'm will like this many people here. And if I can't, I'm willing to like work with you on the rate, um, you know, on like on drinks or help subsidize some costs. Um, it's, I think if you're not, 
like completely just like uninterested in what the other side of the equation is, that's never really the best. Makes sense. I like that. I like that. So uh, I think the, our listeners are going to appreciate that very much. Um, <clears throat> you're making out a world that is cleaner and friendlier, specifically through storytelling, uh, through sharing experiences and community building. And we've garnered a lot of that through a lot of what you shared already. Um, but specifically, I guess, balancing the artistry and the entrepreneurship, how do you, how do you maximize your efficiencies? Ooh, great question. Um, I maximizing efficiencies. I mean, my head goes really to time and like thinking about how time, like how I'm spending my time. That is constantly a question that is like on the, on the forefront of my brain thinking who I'm spending my time with and how I'm spending my time. Uh, I think that I'm trying to do as many activities right now that are quote unquote, filling the cup. Uh, so making sure that I'm doing something and that I'm getting something positive out of it. I think that goes from activities where like hiking, like is an inspiring, good time and thing to do. Um, I think it's in a lot of it has to do with intention, like knowing why I'm going into something and what I'm doing it for helps me be more efficient with it because I know if I'm not getting something out of it, then I can reflect and I can think about that. Um, somebody recently told me, which I'm experimenting with this idea of like really carving out creative space versus workspace. So for instance, doing three days a week of three days a week uh, where it's like, yeah, that's just creative time. I'm not answering emails. I'm not, um, I'm not uh, on a computer. I'm, I'm writing, I'm spending time outside. I'm, you know, you can figure out what balance works for you, but think, okay, these are the two days that's for me. And these are the three days that's for everybody else. You know, where I'm going to go down that rabbit hole and answer, but it, it really, I think the beauty of being your own boss is not necessarily having to prescribe to what society says are working hours and are working days. And that's kind of a magical thing. I remember when I walked out of Enlightened and all of a sudden it was Tuesday at three o'clock and I was like, I can go hang out in Central Park or I can go on a vacation like tomorrow just because I want to and understand the power of that. But that it means that cool, like then I'm just going to work on Sunday and Monday. Um, so it's, it's being taking ownership over your own schedule, I think is a huge part of that. I think recognizing your most efficient times. I know I'm most efficient between five and five and seven thirty PM. So I try as much as I can to block off that time for like churning out emails, answering things. And actually weirdly, like between 11 and like, or like 10 and 1230 at night. Like morning is not my efficient time. So like, cool, like, yeah. I'm okay with that, you yeah. know? Uh, so I think those are, those are really good things in terms of packing the efficiency. And I think also just like respecting yourself when it's like, if you need that time, there's, there's a lot of people talking like mental health is a big thing. Like if you're not feeling it, cool. Like don't feel it. Tell yourself, all right, I'm taking a break right now. Take that time for yourself and then get back into it. Right. So I think that's, you know, there's, the best companies are the ones that are acknowledging cool. Like you need some time for yourself do it because you will, you will, it's better to be, have an efficient three hours than 10 hours of just like distraction. You come back stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, it seems like you don't really struggle at this point in time with saying no to things that may not pour back into your cup. Did you struggle with that ever? How did you become so like, so easy, like, well-versed at saying no. Um, totally. I will, I will actually say I absolutely struggle with saying no. Um, I had to say <laughs> recently no to, oh, totally. Um, uh, I had to say no to two big projects that like upon reflection, I probably not, shouldn't have gotten involved with them in the start. Not because they're not incredible. Like I got super excited by them and it was like, wow, but it's just understanding bandwidth. And at some point it's, I think, you know, essentially a mentor of mine, this guy, Dave Geist, that he he started the Center for Social Innovation in New York, and he does a lot of really community-driven projects. He said, hey, man, it's great looking at all the different things you do. Uh, think about, like, but right now you're probably giving 10%, 20% for each of them tops, right? Imagine what you can do if you put 50% of your time or 80% of your time in one project. Um, is this, it also has, like, a very specific look. 
that people from the outside are saying like, wow, does this guy actually have time to like commit to anything that I want to do? So I think it, you know, there's good things and like just being the things that have helped me the most um, is well, A, it's saying like learning to say no. And, and usually it just, it comes to a head and like, I just can't do this anymore, but also being super clear on the nature of the relationships of anything that I have. So if I'm going to work with someone, I've learned this the hard way, get everything in writing. It doesn't, if you're an, if you're an artist, if you're a manager, if you're someone going in the industry, if you want to work with someone, figure out what your roles and responsibilities are, because that's how things steadily start creeping and getting more and more and you get stressed and not know how to manage stuff. Um, so that, that is the, a huge, huge thing that's helped me much, uh, helped me to better say no, because that all of a sudden, if we've agreed on something, I can point to like, that wasn't our agreement. Like we didn't do right. that. And talking with people in that way is, is tough, but you're going to avoid lots of, lots of pain and suffering later if you do right like think about if we're starting a starting a band together and we make the decision yeah all the money that comes in is 50 percent 50 percent you 50 percent me we're splitting it halfway right before a song gets written before anything gets happen uh, happens in that way and then we can say you know and if in the event that we're not feeling someone is doing less work we can revisit and have a renegotiation conversation cool that way like when your first viral hit goes on it's you don't have a, a million dollars hanging over your head where like sensitivities and tensions are high it's much right, easier right. to do that when it's like this company's this band has no assets we have no music and yeah. and it'll be a good indicator of how well you work together and how well you can have a serious conversation um if you can if you can do this now because you can talk about sensitive things um yeah one of your biggest challenges and then how you overcame that, whether it's meditating or, or what you did. Curious to, curious to hear that near the end of this. The, the thing that's, I mean, this is where a lot of my work kind of comes in and like why I think music and the arts is like great, great proponents for, you know, powerful conversations. I mean, Harlem is a rapidly gentrifying community. It is changing. It is shifting. Um, it is historically African-American. It's the roots of jazz and culture and art and some of like the most incredible artists, you know, in hit like in the last century came through Harlem um, and like actually major visionaries and stuff. And I'm not from there. Like I, you know, I have, my, I'm a child of immigrants. My parents are from Russia and Poland and I'm a white person. I'm absolutely a gentrifier. I think taking ownership over that and coming face to face with a lot of people that were essentially at the time saying, you should not do this because you are a white person. Like this is a problem that you are a white person leading this and sets a bad example for people uh, you know, people of color in the community that want to strive to this. Like I've heard it from major city officials that like to my face said this is going to be a problem. And other people said you should heavily consider either changing uh, positions or getting someone else to be in this. At the time, this was, un this was unpaid. I mean, it was a volunteer position that I was doing, spending my own time doing. And at that time I was being told not to do it. That was definitely a heavy obstacle. Um, and I think it, you know, I think there was, there's a point at which, uh, you think it, it challenges why you're in it to begin with. Um, and knowing like, again, like there are going to be lots of people that say, no, don't do something. And like knowing that unless those people are offering like constructive criticism and actually willing to support their so alternative solutions, right. They're not people worth listening to. Right. If someone, there's tons of critics out there and people ready to, to naysay and say, your music sucks or don't do this or whatever. But unless they're there and saying your music sucks and here, and here's why, and what you can do, like, you know, to make it better, like, listen to this and listen to this. Like they're just people that are interested in hearing their own voice. It, this, I, I like to think that most of the ways that I go in stuff should be, should be about like should have at least three potential solutions, right? I'm either broadly raising awareness for something that it needs the awareness to be raised, right? Like black, the black Woodstock Harlem cultural festival was an example. Nobody knew about that 10 years, you know, 10 years ago before quest love and the summer of soul thing. And the 50th year anniversary concert that I did was because nobody knew about it. It was like, right. this is a major historical event that talks about peace and love empowerment deserves to be brought to the forefront of you know to to the forefront of like really every major magazine it's like cool like i'm gonna do this for that yeah. um if it's not that then it's 
is there some kind of systemic solution that I'm providing? Um, yeah. And if it's not that, then can I positively impact people right in front of my eyes? But, you know, this, this conversation, for instance, doesn't need my voice. And so I think for people that are facing different barriers, um, especially people that are coming up is think like, are these, do these, a, is there a way to engage with these people that can actually create solutions? Mm -hmm. right? Harlem Arts Festival, a great example is in the beginning, we were told like, nope, like there was a local park, two local parks organizations that weren't interested in giving us letters of support because their first thing was like, well, who the heck are you? Like, we were like, we're going to create this program and um, we're going to curate it as like three newcomers of the neighborhood. They're like, who the heck are you? And so when right, they right, gave right. us that feedback, the opportunity was, are we going to push ahead and ignore them? Um, or are we going to take their advice and heed it and think, how can we change change how we're putting this? And instead, we said, okay, cool. Like, we're going to create a committee. We're going to engage all the artistic and cultural leaders that have paved the landscape for us to do this kind of work. Um, yeah. And we're going to make this a democratic process. Ooh, and it's actually interesting that's how like, we're transitioning. Um, perhaps we continue with the story, but all, a little bit, like, a little focus on the sponsorship element of how you were able to, like, get these in terms of executing your events more, 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 more successfully. Um, what should, what were you considering before getting these kinds of different kinds of sponsorships? What did you have in your pitches and that kind of stuff? I mean, a huge part of it is sort of what I mentioned before, uh, which is make sure that you're taking into account the perspective of the people that are actually, you're asking for funds or support from. So for me to go to like Tito's vodka or, you know, Coca-Cola or American Express or even a local bank, um, like, and just say like, hey, can you just like give me money so I can do this thing is not, that doesn't, that doesn't show any thought, right? right. It doesn't show any kind of forefront uh, or um, it doesn't show that this is a partnership. It's showing that it's a sponsorship. And I think the best way to approach a lot of those conversations is a build, try to build a relationship understand what those what their goals and focuses are right are they looking to reach a specific audience and a base of constituents are they trying to get a different product out there um, are they trying to um, get press and accolades for something if i start framing my pitches in that sense that helps a lot and i was lucky that for instance at enlighten the ice cream company i was in a position where i was sponsoring events right we were offered doing it with product where i was giving free ice cream like tons um, but eventually that went towards money and things. And the idea was for someone to come to me and say, hey, I want you to sponsor my event. The ones that we actually did, they were saying, hey, like your product is a healthy product and you do healthy, like healthy ice cream. And like all the people that come to my event, which is average like 100 people during the course of a day, um, like these are health freaks and yoga nuts. And, you know, they're vegan, vegetarian. They're people that care about their body and they're going to love your product. That's awesome. Neil, I got one more question for you. This is coming from our final segment. The segment is called Clear the Air. Clear the air. Cut. <laughs> okay. Um, we already had the grumpy sound guy request of you to uh, uh, show us some beatboxing. So we won't do that again, but I do have a fan who sent in a question and I'll play that right now. Hi, Neil. My name is Martin. What has been your most memorable performance experience? What about it made it stand out? Or like uh, my head goes into something that I've produced versus something that I've gone to. Um, the, most memorable was definitely the 50th anniversary of Black Woodstock concert. Mm -hmm. I was dreaming and thinking about that for 10 years and um, it was pretty, un I mean, I got some of my favorite artists like Igmar Thomas, he's a musical director for Lauren Hill. He's actually on tour musical directing for the Fugees right now. Um, Braxton Cook was there, um, Nate Jones on bass, uh, Devon Dixon, rest in peace. He was like one of the, an incredible pianist. He played with Bilal and Warren Hill and stuff. He just recently passed. Um, you know, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, drummer. Um, uh, he plays with Warren Hill actually too. Oh, uh, George Spanky McCurdy was there. And we just had like an Al Smith, Talib Kweli, um, Fred, uh, Freddie uh, Stone from Sly and the Family Stone came back for that. The first time in 50 years. 
And it was just like, I mean, the people, the hang, we got to, I mean, Keon Harrell, Georgia and Muldrow. And it was just like, people were there for the reason exploring. And it was just a combination of history and a concept. And we had some pretty powerful conversations with like original Black Panthers. Jamal Joseph was there. He's Tupac's godfather. Um, Like it's, I mean, like uh, um, Felipe Luciano from The Last Poet. Like it was just... I mean, it was just a, for me, I was like, I can't believe this is actually happening. I've been dreaming and thinking yeah, about this. Surreal. I mentioned the Dave Chappelle thing. That's not something I produced. That's yeah. something I got to attend. And like Stevie Wonder showed up, Alicia Keys, freaking, uh, you know, Lupe Fiasco, Robert Glasper, that like he's an old friend and someone I worked with years ago. Like it was, it was amazing. This space that Chappelle cultivated for creativity where he was like, we're here and acknowledge and appreciate the craft and the time. It's like, because when you guys were out there partying, these artists were down in the basement practicing. Yep. Like, and appreciate them and support them. And like, this is a judgment-free space because he takes everyone's phone and I love it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to check out some of these books because uh, uh, Quelly, he's super next-level lyricist. But this is a fantastic oh, um, um, way to end the, the episode. Before we finish, I got, I got to ask the Grumpy Sound Guy, does he have any final remarks? Hey, Neil. Hey, man. Nice background, too. Nice background. Yo, I, it's, it's, you know, I, I try to keep things, you know, organized by the grid. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm, I just, I, I don't want to be too square, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> it happens. That's awesome. Neil, do you have any final words? Um, no, I'd say if anyone listening to this is interested in, uh learning more uh check out my websites i'm happy to talk to anyone i always i reserve time for for newcomers and um and people that are trying to figure it out because i know i would have super appreciate that there's a section on my website on moon 31 uh that's a give so you can if you have a project that you're interested in getting support for or you just want to book some time uh, for like 20 or 30 minutes i'm happy to kind of chat so moon 31 is my website um and also neilludevic.com and I'm on Instagram at Mr. Nelio, all spelled out, M-I-S-T-E-R-N-E-A-L-I-O. And uh, some other projects that I'm working with that people might find interesting, check out snarkyelephant.com and revivebigband.com. If you're a music buff, that album is going to be unbelievable. It's got Talib on it, Terrace Martin, Corey Henry, Dr. Lonnie Smith, uh, who, who just passed, actually. And so this might be his final recording Um so yeah, but feel free, uh, feel free to reach out for any friends and fans of this amazing, amazing podcast and show. Hey, awesome, Mr. Neil Ludevic. I will include all of those um, links in the show notes. Uh, I wanted to say thank you so much for being here. That is all for this episode. Quick message to the smartest. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded individuals, please check out our Facebook group. It's free. You can find this at goproduce.ca forward slash groups. I will send that in the show notes as well. My name is Big Lou, and I want to see you there. We out.